Brandon Mitchell is a Canadian who is deeply involved and invested in the Ukraine war. As a member of the Hospitaller crew, he has been evacuating people and the wounded since the beginning of the war. Brandon was born in a small Canadian town near the Atlantic Ocean. At the age of 17, he joined the army and served first in Canada and then in the UK. When the full-scale war began in Ukraine, Brandon could not stand aside. He decided that this was his war too. And uh, please, before you get into the video, like, subscribe, share it, add a comment because that really helps it to perform. Check out the links to Brandon's channel and the various sort of charities and initiatives that he supports. Uh, and also check out the list of Ukrainian charities, uh, all verified charities doing incredible work on the ground that we will include in the description of the video. But Brandon, welcome. Welcome to Silicon Curtain. Jonathan, thank you. It's uh... A real pleasure. Thank you for your patience. Uh, we, we've corresponded off and on since uh, August, September. Here eventually, eventually, they always happen, and uh, that only makes the anticipation greater. But I'd like to dig in first about, well, first of all, into your motives. What was it that you saw happening in Ukraine that really triggered your, not only interest, but clearly it seems to have triggered a sense of sort of duty and an imperative to get out and do something? Mm -hmm. I had, um, for lack of a better term or understanding, I, I had um, a psychosomatic experience. I remember, or, I remember, I've done a few of these interviews, so this is standard. Let's plow through this. Um, I remember on the third day of the war, Mr. Zelensky asked, asked for volunteers. Um, and, and I thought to myself, um, you know, somebody should help. Um, so, so first of all, um, I lived in England for many years. I'm very involved in the boxing community, in the amateur boxing community. Um, I knew a lot, a lot of people of all backgrounds, but I, uh, one of my best friends, uh, Anna, who's quite accomplished now, she's Polish and, um, Poland's quite close to Ukraine. Um, I, I, I was living in Sweden. I'm, I'm in Sweden now in Stockholm and, um, and I, I was employed by an Estonian company and, and I went to Estonia for five weeks, uh, lived in Tallinn and trained in Tallinn. Um, and, and I was really, really charmed by the Estonian people. I, I, I thought to myself, um, yeah, I, I streamlined my life with stereotypes. Um, and certainly when I moved to England years ago, we had them, uh, um, and, uh, I was amazed by how progressive of a country it was, how developed it was, uh, the infrastructure, the people. And um, I thought to myself, what a fantastic country, you know, and, and uh, friends. I didn't really know any Ukrainians. I only ever had one Ukrainian girlfriend once, uh, a fling when I was 23. I had no connection to Ukraine except uh, the fantastic boxers they put out over the years. Um, but I, 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 I seen it quickly as, um, okay, Ukraine will get rolled over and then my friends are next. Um, yep. that, that was a personal connection, uh, that I, I felt, uh, um, and, and I don't have children, uh, as much as I love my dog. Um, and she, she's not a, she's not a child. Um, and, and I felt obliged. And when, and when Mr. Zelensky asked, I had an opportunity, uh, and then all of a sudden, within about 
with within two weeks, I settled my affairs and I, I felt uh, I felt a great strength come over me. Well, I I rang my auntie and told her my plans and I said, I hope you're proud of me. And and I didn't want to die, but um, I, I, I felt compelled to go. And I, I didn't I didn't that battle of Kiev didn't look too good to me. Uh, I didn't fancy our chances. Um, but I, I just hopped on a wave and it, it, and it carried me through. It carried me through a great strength. And you also have a unique skill, of course. Well, not unique, but you you have a skill. You must have also had that sense that uh, these skills are, you know, they can be used for, uh, you know, the civilian home front, but that there is a dire need for uh, medical skills uh, at the front. So is, is that also sort of a compelling? The other day I had to deal with a horrible disappointment from the Swedish veterans group uh, that has funded all this money for our kids. And he said, were, were you a combat medic in the army? I said, no, uh, I didn't even mention my military career uh, in the past. Uh, I said, I worked, I, 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 I built, I built kitchens. We had a contract with IKEA. I worked for IKEA before the war. And it, it's all of a sudden I was the man sent to Coventry. Um, he, you know, for our American audience, uh, yeah, he, he didn't want to know me. Um, I had, I no, I had, I had no medical experience, none whatsoever. Th that came later. That came That's later. That's an initial yeah. process then. So how, uh, I know, you know, many people have talked about that initial kind of experience, but what is it like for you? Were you immediately given role and a task or did you have what some people have had, which is a, a sort of frustration of of not being sent or deployed um, and sort of being under assessment? What was your experience in those first couple of weeks? Mm, I knew a man who knew a man who had a safe house in Lviv, this was all scary and novel to me, and uh, it was a it was a busted out uh, beauty parlor business, an esthetician, uh, and the sign was still up in English, the secret place, <laughs> and th there was fifty guys in there. There was Finns, British. Uh, uh, I, I went with four Swedes um, recently out of the army. Th three of them had uh, uh, medical training, medical backgrounds, um, and uh, this this crazy place um one of them found through instagram uh, a canadian man said i'm i'm in hospitaler's battalion it's a medical battalion and uh we're all in lviv and uh, they said we're going and I, I said well i don't uh i haven't held a rifle in years i mean i i was in northern ireland in 2006 you know that's that's my combat experience you know what happened there not much um I, I was scared I'd get someone killed. I, th I thought I'd be a humanitarian. I still don't know what a humanitarian does. Um, it, it's a real broad, broad blanket term, like a non-governmental organization. Um, no, I, I didn't fancy the humanitarian work. Um, I, I, I drove to Kharkiv uh, delivering desperately needed supplies of nappies uh, and dried pasta. Um People still don't understand that this late in the war, it's Europe. You can eat sushi and you can go kill a Russian uh, in 30 minutes down the road. Kostantinivka, the sushi's okay. Um, but but I, I was so disenchanted with that, you know. Uh, and I said, I'll, I'll have some of that hospitalers. Uh, the boy said, you should come, you should come. And um, St. Michael's Church. You know, Joe Biden's been there, uh, everybody. I mean, um, the last crony he sent, uh, I don't know his name. He he came with a lot less, but he went to St. Michael's with a $100 million aid package. 
Um, I lived in St. Michael's. I lived in the basement. Um, and very quickly, uh, they had about oh, 40, 50 foreigners and, and they would make our teams, our ambulance teams. And those who didn't have medical experience, um, with the help of a, a French doctor, Edouard, uh, an American nurse, Rebecca, they're, they're both fantastic. Uh, they cobbled together very quickly uh, a program for about 10 days, 12 hours a day, a uh, training program. And you, you would hear the you would hear the noises to the north of the city, but um, I, I had no part in the in the Battle of Kiev. Uh, just training, 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 um, training every day, and um, yeah, that that was uh, that that was a good time. And you must have formed uh, from knowing nothing about Ukrainians apart from, as you say, the uh, the sort of random girlfriend. Um, what impression did you form of Ukrainians? Because, of course, there are diverse people and there are, there are of course, differences from one area to another. Some areas are more, you know, um, more Russian speaking, but that in no mm -hmm. way makes them less Ukrainian. Um, just, to, just to be clear on that, because I know that's a point of Russian propaganda to pretend that somehow if you speak a language, you, you must be Russian or you must have a desire to become part of their political system. What impression did you did you form of uh, of Ukrainians as a people? Hmm. Uh, well, number one, all I can observe, I'm I'm like an animal, like a dog. I have to, I have to uh, be very intuitive uh, to body language, energies, and and be ready to work and uh, watch, do. Um, so, the English speakers, when I first met them, they were really quite burdened by foreigners for the limited amount of people that could speak English, and I, and I mean burdened in the sense of. Um, having to translate or feeling some sort of a uh, sense of guardianship. Um, I, I seen people that were very busy, had very little time for short talk. Um, I, uh, I had assumptions in my life that Slavic people had uh, generally less pleasantries and more, more uh, direct forms of communication. I, I'd experienced that in other countries, but um I, I was, I was really inspired by uh, the citizen soldier, so to speak. Um, you, you know, in our battalion, there there was a woman. Um, she's gone on to do fantastic things in the army. Um, she she drove a Maserati, and um, she she had a racing career. You know, there there was a man, uh, another one racing the, the bikes. Um, but I thought to myself, wow, I, I was inspired. Even the rich people fight in this war. Uh, she's one of the exceptions, uh, certainly. But um, they're just normal people. Um, generally, um, you know, when, when I finally eventually did deploy uh, on the Zaporizhia front and I got to see the, you know, the first actual hospital and beyond, and I got to see more my own working class you know living in a frontline town but a town with a functioning supermarket like the the first supermarket than the russians you know um a chain supermarket um i i i seen uh i seen the similarities you know uh that they had personalities they had banter um the women were quite strong you know uh, it's it's very much a matriarchal society you know uh 
when you get to Donbass, uh, anybody who's anybody who hasn't moved out over the past what eight to ten years, uh, if I can be honest, the men the men who are left are quite gormless. Uh, it's it's very strong strong women, uh, strong women in those communities that uh, don't let them spend every penny on alcohol, and and I don't mean to say that in a derogatory way. I'm just telling you the. This is just purely civilian uh, aspects. Well, Any, there must be despair. Who... You know, of course, I mean, the temptation must be to, uh, you know, create some oblivion because what they're living through is absolutely horrific. And um, we know or we suspect that the so-called, you know, the conscripts on the Russian side uh, have an extremely high level of intoxication um, to, uh, I wouldn't say cope even, but to blot out what they're taking part in. Oh, I'm, I'm not I'm not judging at all, uh, but it's, it's purely, um, you know, I grew up in a community in Canada that a lot of people immigrated to the West or emigrated uh, because there was little social opportunity. So if you, if you didn't if you didn't know your path or join the army, you know, there wasn't much left in that town, you know, uh, especially after the, the pulp industry crashed. It, basically, uh, I failed in. Yeah, there's there's a lot of that around the world. America has the Rust Belt uh, from from Sheffield on. Uh, there's some of those stories. Um, but uh, I've seen a lot of that. I've seen a lot of that in Donbass as well. Um I found I found more similarities. The more I the more the more I the more the more the more I traveled, the more the more were the same. And the other aspect, of course, on this is um, you know, not to give it a too grand a title, but you know, Russian imperialism. Here you have one country trying to trying to dominate another, trying to swallow it whole, uh, in a very sort of 18th, 19th century manner. Um you're on the grounds of helping individual people, but did you have that sense that you're really on the kind of bleeding edge of a country that is projecting extreme violence, uh, extreme force, genocidal intent, and living an entirely different set of values to those which we think of as our own? I'm not. I'm. I'm not comfortable. Like I don't. I don't feel I'm the best person to answer this question. Um... I'll be the first to admit what I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, with my 200 words, Ukrainian, Russian, and quite often I don't know what those words are. And that only seems to become an issue if it's a Russian word, if I'm in Kiev. Okay. Uh, it's a purely academic issue at this point. But um, I, I know many people. Um, I know many people that have family in Russia. They have family in Crimea. Uh, there's people in the army who have family in occupied areas. Um, this war has has torn apart families, essentially. Now, um, maybe, maybe I would liken it to uh, Hitler and the Sudetenland. You know, and and I, I I couldn't quote the person. Um, I couldn't quote the parliamentarian that said, well, who are we to judge this chap, Hitler, you know, if, if we were only to go back and claim Yorkshire after we've been out of it for 20 years? Um, I feel there's a, there's this, and I've been told by Ukrainians, 
you know, that there's this narrative and it's been going on for many years that, that uh, you know, Ukrainian is a dialect of Russian, um, that uh, we are all brothers. We are all essentially Russians. And um, this has been this has been propagated. Um, this is not my experience. This is from people that I know and trust who are my friends. And uh, many celebrities uh, have catered to the Russian market because it's a big market. Uh, uh, the music industry, uh, the television industry, for example, um, they know their audience, they know their profit. Um, there was Ukrainian, in, in essence, is a is a it was a revivalist movement for the language, um, and I'm told by my friends, you know, like they never grew, like a lot of people never grew up speaking Ukrainian, but that they made an effort to speak Ukrainian over the past ten years, and um, it would very much fit with the Russian narrative that no, we are all one people. Um, but I, I have quite a few friends who, who would tend to disagree with that. Yeah. I mean, especially in the light of the extreme aggression, I mean, prior to the full scale invasion, maybe oh. people would, would, would view things slightly differently or, you know, would see themselves as, uh, cutting across multiple, uh, sort of cultures there. But, uh, yeah, I mean, this, this seems to have changed an awful lot of things for, for many people. Um, Obviously, your experience on the front line evacuating people, I mean, there must be uh, a lot of trauma. I mean, it must be a fairly traumatic experience for you, obviously extremely traumatic for the for the people involved. Um, has that work changed through the course of the year? Because, of course, Ukraine has made some extraordinary gains um, in Kharkiv and Kherson. Um, but last year you know the the full-scale offensive uh hasn't uh, achieved those those same results for reasons which i think are uh, relatively clear now um you know undersupply of weaponry over optimistic war game all these kind of things um but it has the nature of the kind of work you and your colleagues do really sort of changed um as the ebb and flow of the war has changed well cumulatively because I did leave Ukraine one time prior. Uh, I've, I've, I've been there just over 20 months, cumulatively. Um, the number one thing that dictates the work, that dictates tactics, perhaps even strategy, is terrain or geography in, in terms of strategy. Uh, and that will change anywhere. That will change anywhere in, um, uh, if you're to go to Lemonsky region, Okay, um, that will change in the in the ever so famous Bakhmut AO, uh, Avdivka, uh, the Zaporizhia front, which seems like a wide, endless expanse. Um, I don't know about Kharkiv; I've never been. Um, but um, in in Kherson, it's it's very different. Now, when we talk about the front line, I'd like to take this time it, it's a very abstract concept and uh i take pride in being honest even if i undersell myself um i've only ever been shot at uh by russians twice and uh i've only ever fired my rifle twice and and I, did i hit anyone i don't know um i did hit a drone once and it turned out to be ours okay 
and Starsky has that. Uh, we, if next time you have Starsky on, uh, he can tell his story. Uh, it's better than mine. Um, but I, I didn't pretend to speak one word of Russian or Ukrainian there. I put in a broad American accent and I just walked away. Um, they were quite angry. But no, uh, I, I've I have been to the zero line a handful of times. Uh, I've been I've I've been to the Russian side uh, in Solodar and it, it didn't go quite well. That's the only reason you have me on here, because I was I was blowing up in a minefield on camera. Everybody likes that story. And, and I've milked it to our advantage. But uh, my work is, uh, except with the exception of Kherson, generally is two kilometers back. Okay, so waiting at a 300 point. Um, so it doesn't matter where you are, um, depending on the time of year and the resources, uh, you need concealment. Uh, you need concealment. And, and what a 300 point is, is for wounded soldiers. Um, there were cases, there are still cases. Uh, if you look at Yampol, um, the Yampol Forest, for example, up to Kremena, um, if you go to um, Belharivka, okay, there's areas all along there. I know you know this map, uh, probably a lot of your viewers do. Uh, there's thick, thick pine trees. And uh, this a Humvee is too thick. Uh, it's too wide. Uh, Range Rover works. So quite a bit like earlier in the war, you are left with the Pajaros, you know, the badass looking modified painted trucks, civilian pattern. Um, but if, 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 if you came further down to the AO uh, from Soledar on to the Klishkivka, there was no soft vehicles evacuating. So that the limited amount of work I did uh, with the civilian evacuations, I've done plenty of that. Um, but with the army, um, no, there, there was procedures. We had armored vehicles. You know, we had uh, Soviet, we had Russian captured. Uh, when the M113s came in, um, you know, people on the internet like to criticize it. I think it's fantastic from, from experience. I think it's fantastic. Um, so, so no, um, it's very different everywhere. Uh, it depends on the high ground, the low ground. Um, maybe you look at it and know it as the E20 highway. Uh, if you look on a map from Kostantinivka to Donetsk City, well, that highway is on the high ground, both sides. So that's a very, that's a focal point. And, and I've never been the other side of that hill where that goes down. Um, there's a sense of safety, uh, not under direct fire, uh, not in sight of direct fire. Um, but our work changes, um, our work changes in the sense that, um, you know, there will be, there will be spotted, uh, three BMPs. Okay. Say, say in an area outside of Peromaivsky. Um, and, uh, this is all the Avdivka front and it's like, okay, uh, what village are they in there? Well, all right. Uh, there was a spotted T-72, um, there's a rumor that if they have a French optic, I, I'm not an expert, that they can shoot accurately four kilometers. I was like, wow. Um, why don't I take this road instead? I'll take, uh, me and my friend Philip used to say, do we take uh, slow and safe or fun and fast? Um, yeah, yeah. So there's, there's, there's a lot of considerations, um, by the terrain, 
it, it's it's everything is dictated by terrain uh and everything else is secondary uh and and i mean secondary in terms of what the russians have and what we have um but i don't know of the counter offensive um i i've i've been to orkhiv uh when when i came back from last time to deliver some supplies to a friend and um there's no natural advantage on the Zaporizhia front from everything. And, and I, I worked there my first two months of the war, um, first month in a hospital and a month with first armored brigade. Um, I've, I've participated in, you can't really count Kherson, uh, but I've participated in two assaults, uh, two operational assaults, like large scale, um, um, in, in Bakhmut, uh, last year, late, late November, um, early December, and uh, I, I suppose my baptism, in a sense, if I could think of the word, with First Armored Brigade and the remnants of Azov, and in the first spring of the war in Zaporizhia, and and uh, the casualties are horrendous. The ca when 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 you want to take ground, you have to pay. You you have to pay dearly. Um, because because we don't have a natural advantage. Um. Or, or 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 the equipment that uh, I I learned about uh, or I knew what it looked like uh, when I was in the army as a boy. We don't have that um, air cover as well, of course. You know, air yeah. cover, air cover. Um, when I seen when I've seen my first sortie, uh, if you'll entertain me here, I, I tend to ramble on, and I want to tell you about Kherson, but. Um, I, I remember there with 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 first armored brigade and and and. Uh, our first day, uh, we had 65 critical casualties uh, from amputations to um, they do their job well. They do their job very well. And uh, naturally, between every wave, what do we do? We smoke. And I, I remember outside seeing seeing those. Um, oh, I think I don't know my aircraft. Maybe they're a Sioux or a MiG. They were ours. And I seen them drop. And we seen them drop and to great effect. And just like the movies, everybody cheered. And it, and it, I, I looked at the doctor beside me and we smiled. Um, it was such a warm feeling. And, you know, when they flew by the cheeky buggers, uh, they did the wave, you know. And, and um, that's that, that front line that uh, everyone heard about. Um, uh, I don't. I was not in the counteroffensive, but I can tell you what the Zaporizhia terrain, the terrain looks like. Um, the commander thought we were all going to die, and he's not a dramatic man. Um, I remember sitting outside on a swing, if you will, outside this community center in this little village we have, and this big god awful phallic truck with a, a big missile that I never seen that looks like something from South Korea or North Korea drives by and I've never seen it before and um well two minutes later th five minutes later I hear the second loudest noise I've ever heard in my life and then maybe a minute or two later I heard the loudest noise I ever heard in my life and that was the first summer of the war and that's when they started talking about massive Russian ammunition dumps getting hit and Maybe that was the first one, and I I seen I seen the the truck that 
you know, that made the world news when when people still cared. Um, but anyway, after that, it, the Zaporizhia Front, once those things started to happen, um, it became it became the stalemate. It became the dead ground of the war. You know, no, no, nobody. The news didn't talk about it. We didn't talk about it. Um, and, and I went to Donbass. Um, but the fact that those men had to go there after one year, I, I'm no General Ben Hodges, but I. It's very cruel. It was very cruel, and we were put up against it, and we were put up under pressure that of politicians who had to sell it to their electorates. Um, no, I could I could talk more on 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 how I I feel it's unfair that we have to we have to cater to the short attention span of democracy, but um, it the front line and all our work was determined by was determined by uh, by terrain. And did you get a sense of the scale? I mean, you 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 got a lot of the, the the front there you've mentioned, but if you look at it in its entirety, it's an extraordinary front line, isn't it? And you've still got uh, borders with Belarus and borders with uh, Russia, which are not you know actively being penetrated, but they are points of risk. They are potential points of further incursion. It's a war on a, on a scale. Uh, that I think you know is 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 really comparable to the Second World War and, and very little, uh, you know, in in between since that uh, period. Did you get a sense of that scale, or are you you're really only able to see a kind of microcosm of the action when you're when you're there? Is uh, only really concerned for our area. Um, so I I knew the Bakhmut. Solodar AO very well. I'm I'm very intimately acquainted with Solodar. Um uh through my time helping out with the civilian evacuation work, I, I got a perspective that uh that nobody in our battalion would get, or certainly in, in one of the regular brigades, um, because we would move along to Lemonsky region, um, uh, up into Luhansk, all the way to Makhivka when it opened. And and certain preconditions had to happen for that, you know. Um, there was one week we had a well, several weeks we had a particular problem with uh, Orlans, for example, and and then that village would clear, and the next one. Um, but to drive along these roads, you know, one kilometer, two kilometers back, if you can, five kilometers back, if there's a road. Um, you know, to 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 get to Makivka from say Kramatorsk, that's our an hour and a half drive. You know, it's not a motorway. Uh, there's some fast stretches, um, but to get to Bakhmut, to get to Kostantinivka, the, these are all the these are all the lifelines. It's it's no secret. They they know more. They probably know more than we know about them. Um, but there's a sense. I got a sense of a feeling of a disconnection. You know, um, uh, Kramatorsk, Kostantinivka, would Druzhkivka would feed into the Bakhmut Ao, uh, Lemonsky Rigon, uh, because of the water, the bridges, uh, the blowing out, it, there was much, very much a sense, uh, it was a different world. Izium, uh, which would be, which later on became liberated, and 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 that's a hub. It's 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 like a different world, uh. And you can't get to Avdivka, um, uh, or even even the villages outside. Um, 
you would have to go, you would have to head on the road halfway to Pokrovsk to go to Kostantinivka. So there's a sense of uh, uh, from life in the rear uh, to life up onto the lines and and the evacuation routes that they're all they're very different worlds. Um, in, in yet it's all Ukraine. And did you get a sense of the liberation? So Kherson, uh, Izum, as you said, liberated, and then of course terrible stories kind of come to light. I don't know if you had any direct experiences or talked to people who had lived under occupation. Yeah. Uh, in Lemonsk, Regon, um, I, um, I, I, I helped, uh, I helped ferry soldiers in, uh, during the assault, um, through these, uh, APC tracks. And that was, uh, in a, in a Nissan patrol, that was a beautiful bit of driving. That was, you know, I have only ever got stuck once over those days. But um, I, I I went um, I went into um, I went into Limon the first day. Uh, it was cleared, um, and uh, I I remember cutting a cast off a woman. Um, that cast had been on there for over three months. Uh, four months, I think, well too long, and and cleaning her up. Um, yeah, the the Russians did give them, they did give them care, but they gave them. Uh, well, it's better on the Ukrainian side, you know. I'm I'm not I'm not I'm not I'm not going to tell lies. I'm not going to say that they weren't, but um, there were there were things that happened um, over the days that followed, the weeks that followed, like in Yampol. Um, uh, down a cellar, we found a, we found a man, um, uh, a civilian man, uh, with his hands tied behind his back, uh, in a fetal possession, shot in the head. Um, there, there was a list in, in one of the houses in a brown satchel, uh, with over 300 names on it. The Yampol's not a big town. Maybe it had 2000 people, 3000 max, um, so on paper, on, on there was there was over three hundred people executed and buried there, and um, one woman wanted to leave the town. Uh, she wanted to talk to the SBU, uh, the security services, and this is all my friends translating to me, you know. But it's juicy stuff. I, I don't mean to. I don't. I, I'm trying. I'm trying to. It's interesting. It's it's very interesting, you know. Uh, when you're involved, you want to know. Um, she would she would only speak to uh, SBU if they agreed to take her out of the town immediately, and um, and because the of the Russian sympathizers in the town, uh, she she wanted to reveal the location where the Ukrainian POWs had been executed. I d I know no more of it than that. Um, th there was a filtration process set up in Lemonsky region, and it it worked. Not many people got through it because of the rivers uh, and all the bridges blowing, and they would have to go through uh, police filtration. Um, I don't know how the process works. I, I have brought people there, um, and it can take anywhere from ten minutes to to an hour. And um, it, there was a sense of, in the most case, there was gratitude. Um, in some cases, there was perhaps indifference, um, mostly gratitude. There was also people that uh, 
you know, they they just wanted help. They, I have a generator. Do you have benzene? Uh, do, do you have petrol? Um, do you, you, you know, like, what can you do for me? And that's fair enough. That's fair enough. Um, the, there was one woman who her, her back was carved up and she showed us she was from Makievka and, and she stayed in the town. Uh, what we used to call activists, like civilian activists, and, and they're, they're almost always women, women of authority. She was a maths teacher, maths and physics teacher in her 50s. And uh, the Chechens, um, they came into her house with her husband. Uh, they beat him up and they they tied them up by their arms and they said, you'll show us where the guns are that you're hiding or we're going to do a butcha in your house. The boot, that's, what, that's what she told. And they filmed it. Uh, they took a knife to her back and I've seen the scars. Um, they put it on their telegram. They put it on their own telegram. Um, yeah. So, so I've, I've seen all that stuff. I've, I've seen, um, I've seen the utter despair. I've, I've seen people that wouldn't leave, uh, and they demanded all their possessions being taken. And, and then there's one man, uh, um, a mortar hit and, and blew, I, I, I used to give his kids Snickers driving on the way to 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 Terne, uh, or Jan Polivkin. You know, nobody survived in Jan Polivka who stayed. Um, um yeah, I I had a car me and my friend had to had to scrape up his body. The dog ran off with the shoulder and someone took the kids away. He he had a chance to leave for a week. We were giving them Snickers. Um yeah, so I know all about liberation. I know all about liberation. And I think it's yeah. important. These details are important. I know John Sweeney's done his film on that, and he very much focused on um, it's very difficult to watch. Uh, someone who'd been in the torture chamber uh, and I guess was lucky to survive, but they took him back to that place where he was held for several months and must have been in fear of his life. I think it's important to air these details, not for you know a, a sense of the... Uh, you know, not to revel in the detail, but to understand that when people call for negotiations with Russia, when people call for uh, frozen lines and to give Russia territory, that that is not peace. That is condemning people to many of the barbarities uh, that you've described there. Um, and I, I know you've expressed frustration with uh, with with uh, politics, politicians with the sound bites and the opportunities uh, that politicians will make by being say photographed in Kiev and so on. But uh, I love it when they do it. No. It, it, it. It can only play to our advantage. I don't mean to interrupt. There's, there's a lot of forces at work and, and there's a lot of moving parts to this war all across the world from the grassroots uh, initiatives all across Europe that I can speak of that help the army that help uh help the civilians um I've completely disengaged any of my efforts from the civilian um uh, effort I, I I just see it as fruitless uh, the uh, the Ukrainian army uh must be supported as a priority um we don't have the luxury to I know there's people that do it that rescue cats and dogs and my dog's my best friend but that is that is not with limited resources and time, that is not the priority, I'm sad to say. And last question there, do you remain uh, in some ways optimistic, uh, given what you've seen of Ukrainian resilience? Russians, however, seem to be relentless and they seem to have 
built an economy and a political structure that in some ways is dependent on war. Uh, if the war was to end and they weren't to have some kind of tangible victory, it's quite possible there'd be uh, there'd be a backlash and some kind of collapse there. So you 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 you've got resilience and Ukrainian sort of values there, but you've also got an enemy who is far more dare I say tenacious and far more willing to take extraordinary costs to continue its aggression, perhaps far more willing to do that than than anybody uh, suspected two years ago. Last year, like 2022 or 2023, uh, no, 2023, how, how it flies, time flies. Um, I remember like if you asked me in April 2022, victory, uh, we will win the war. I believe in victory. I don't believe in anything else. Um, and I can tell you it was our policy um, not to take ground, but to kill as many as possible. And in a defensive with a determined enemy on offensive, it's possible. Orozvidka um, uh, team moved into our house, uh, a recon team. Um, they needed a place to stay, and they were operating in the area. And, and then one night, um, they dropped an aviation bomb on our house, um, put a big crater. And, um, yeah, I, I patched up a couple of the boys. I was the only one there. But uh, that man uh, is one of my best friends, Maxime. And he's been on my YouTube channel. Not to shout my own channel here, but um, if I could... What he talks about, uh, about war, and you won't understand it until you participate in it. Um, he was telling me, he told in that video, and I didn't believe him. People wouldn't believe him, you know. And uh, and all my YouTube friends, Jake, Archer, then as much as I love them, and they don't lie, and I don't know if it's right or wrong, but I feel they do a great disservice because they Ukraine did this, Ukraine did that. But, but what did it cost? What did it cost? Uh, I, I know the costs. Uh, I know them. That's why I thought the counteroffensive was stupid. But, but Maxime doesn't believe in victory. Uh, he was telling me in 2023 uh, how Russia is changing to wartime economy. See, you can speak Russian. You have access to those things. Uh, Russia is working on production capabilities. Yeah. Um, and I didn't want to believe any of those things, what he told me. Yeah. Um, things have changed. Things have changed, and and I think I think uh, I think the media that's had to sell this this victory to to the short attention spans uh, uh, that the politicians have to work with in their four year terms. Um, I don't think democracy is well suited for this for this struggle we have. I I really don't. Um, I mean, Mr. Churchill had a coalition. Uh, Clement Attlee ran the country while he ran everything else, and it was a good government. Atley did great things in uh, domestically. Churchill did did what he did, and and he's one of my heroes. But I wonder how good he is now because I see the I see the immense strain Mr. Zelensky's under, um, and I'm, I'm going to be honest with you: fifty fifty victory. Um, I know Russia won't stay forever, but does this have to be in Afghanistan? Does this have to be a Vietnam? Um, and the answer is no. No, it does not. Um, I, I know why Western countries are doing this. 
they they, they want a, an intact even i know this i'm a high school dropout um but they want an intact but weak russia um but the truth is uh, with all the best intentions the kitchen uh, the kissingers of the world with all all their education information that we don't have it didn't always play out their way um i i think we're playing with i think we're playing with fire and um i i know russia will not stay in ukraine but but what does that look like absolutely um, that's well, that's com completely up to, that's com that's completely at the agency of western governments yeah uh, well, I've been saying this on the channel, you know, almost since uh, since the, the Battle of Kiev ended in 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 the Ukrainian uh, victory, pushing the Russians back. We've been interviewing people who um, have been saying that you need to move faster to defeat Russia because the longer you drag it out, it, you're not managing the risk; you're actually creating more risk. And I think that's what we see at the moment. You know, Russian aggression is spilling out all over the place. Uh, is invested in conflagrations and conflicts around the world and they've still got a huge investment in um, information warfare which again to your point i don't think uh, democracies are really geared up at the moment to fight the informational assault that russia is doing ukraine has built a lot of resilience around that i think we've we've barely started so that it, it's a concern it definitely is if I don't know the exact numbers, but they were told to me the other day because uh, I, I, I'm, I'm working with Swedes. Um, it's a very different pace here, but it's it's a very difficult pace um, with the aid and uh, people people who give their time as civilians, but they're members of the Forsvarsmakten, uh, the Swedish uh, uh, defense forces. And, um, you know, little Sweden with their own defense industry, they, they really punch above their weight um do you know that cv90 tanks there was almost as many cv90 tanks as abrams no that that i didn't know i mean grippens is something what does that, focused on but <laughs> what does that say what does that say uh with the the greatest military industrial complex in the world uh that we want you to win or we want to see how our tank works in mud it works great in the sand but i can tell you right now um uh the leopard and, and this is from my friends in Avdivka that I, I talk, I, we don't talk often. Um, uh, Leopard plus plus. Um, CV90 plus plus. Um, Abrams menos. So they gave their 50 tanks and now they know how, it, now they know. Um, but that's, I, I do see hope though. I, I do see I do see a way I do see I do see a way to victory. Um but it's it's getting smaller. It's getting smaller. Well I hope people who make decisions watch this. I hope they realize that they are playing with fire by delaying this support for Ukraine. Um and they are uh, you know, shortening the odds of, of a victory there, whereas it uh, perhaps would have, have, have been swifter and at far less cost uh, if that equipment and support came earlier on, back in uh, 2022, when it could really have made a difference. Brandon, I'd love to have you back on. Um, hopefully we get to meet in the real world. Um, we've got various events coming up in the real world. We'll hopefully be sharing details of those on the channel with the audience, things they can perhaps participate in 
um, especially if they're in the UK and Europe. Um, but it's been a huge pleasure talking, and I very much uh, appreciate uh, you sharing your experience. I mean, especially the more traumatic one. I think it's very important for people to understand what's going on. Thank you. Um, and yes, as you said, uh, there's some events coming up from the 14th uh, until the 24th of February, culminating on the two-year anniversary. Uh, there will be five Ukrainian medics, four, and myself, who will be doing a tour uh, from London, Edinburgh, Liverpool, Manchester, Cardiff, and back to London for the 24th. Um, I will get you those dates. Um, we're still waiting for a couple, couple confirmations, uh, but there will be public venues and public engagements. I'd be very grateful if you would share it on your platform, as all the other Ukraine YouTube platforms have been so supportive. I'll get those to you as soon as possible, and, and I hope we meet in person. Definitely. I will do, and I look forward to that. Thank you very much.